Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead curator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Dasha Nekrasova. Dasha is an actor, writer, director, fellow podcaster of the amazing and notorious Red Scare podcast which I'm a day one Patreon subscriber of. Highly recommended. She is the writer, director, and star of The Scary of 61st, her debut movie, which was our favorite movie of last year. We also released a soundtrack on Deeper Into Movies Records. This is definitely more a conversation than an interview. We know each other a bit. And this is just us talking about movies, Rob Zombie, Paul Schrader, anime, Kirsten Dunst, Dasha's process as an actress, how the pod began, and stuff like that. So this is me talking to Dasha Nekrasova. we start from the beginning what did you grow up watching did you know you wanted to be an actor or in movies as a kid and teenager um i grew up watching television um my family emigrated to america in the like mid 90s so i grew up watching like friends and um mad about you and uh a lot of late night television um i was i really a big fan of like david letterman growing up and even like saturday night live was like such a like institution to me Mm -hmm. and i had like vague i i remember having vague ambitions of wanting to be an actress um and like as a kid like practicing like my snl monologue or like fantasizing about going on talk shows and stuff but um, it was very disconnected from, from, from film really. And then I started to get into films more as like a teenager, just from being like an edgelord. You know, I started, well, I remember the first time I watched, um, like Blue Velvet, you yeah. know, like in high school, getting into like, well, horror movies I always really liked because I was always drawn to like extremity. And so when I found out that there were like incredibly violent movies, <laughs> um, House of a Thousand Corpses was huge for me when that came out. I was at 13. Yeah, I love Rob Zombie. I'm a Rob Zombie defender. I think I'm it's a cool. massive, yeah, I'm a massive Rob Zombie fan. Uh, Devil's Rejects was fucking insane. The extremity Devil's, Devil's Rejects Re- is amazing. Yeah. Also shot on film. Also, yeah, he's a big influence on on my work, I think, somehow. Because when I saw, like, House of a Thousand Corpses, I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet, you know? So the things that he referenced for me were just really, really really exciting. Do you like Lords of Salem? 
I, I love that one. I haven't seen that one. Is that the one about the radio station? Yeah, it's like it's kind of chamber mood piece, but it's really subtle, really slow burn, kind of like John Carpenter, the fog kind of vibes. But I think it's really cool. I think it's. I want to see that one. Yeah. And the monster, he made a Munsters movie that's like for children that I also am interested in seeing. Yeah, for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still sad that him and Bryson Ellis couldn't get their Charles Manson series off the ground because there was up there was some other shitty someone who already just greenlit a Manson show and they're like, We're not gonna do two Manson shows. That's just wrong. <sighs> yeah. But I'm like, those two together, what a great combination. I know, but Brett has a tough time in Hollywood, unfortunately. Yeah, I think he's at that he's at the Zen point now where he just says, I'll take the check. It's fun kind yeah. of writing it, and I know it will never, ever get made, but... They were going to do a Less Than Zero television show years ago that I auditioned for. Oh, my God. And were, you it, playing I don't the, think... were you going for Blair? Yeah, I was, oh, I was that auditioning to play sick. Blair. And I emailed him because I saw that he was, like, an executive producer. And he actually wrote back and was like, oh, I'm only, like, really an EP in name. Like, I sold the rights a long time ago and people just churn this stuff out but i'm very like they don't want me near it because i'm like right. persona non grata almost in hollywood but he made the canyons yeah i think we're releasing the canyon soundtrack after oh, so all this time cool. yeah the guy from broken social scene released that so i was like wow part of my Paul Schrader mission statement to get all his soundtracks out that's fantastic that's such a good idea i remember when I first realized Brett is one of the funniest people ever, we were I was at one of his mm-hmm. book events and he was saying, let's just keep the questions going and we're going to end on a, we'll know when it's time to end and we'll just feel ah. it. And then people were firing these questions like, what's your favorite cocktail? Because, you know, I read American Psycho and he's like, oh, I like the, you know, uh, Dirty Martini next. And then he was like, who's my favorite Hills character? And he went on this big riff about the Hills. Mm -hmm. And then someone was like, are you aware of this 17th century philosopher who I think you're hugely influenced by? And I'm studying my thesis on him. And he was like, I'm done. And he just fucking walked off. (laughs) And the host was just left there like, he's going to come back and do like a, ah, I'll see you outside and signing. And he's just gone. He just completely left. That's a really good approach to the Q&A. I've also really loved... I did a Q&A at like, uh, a college in New York called New School yesterday. Oh, they, that's like Kaveh screened... teaches, I think. Kaveh, exactly. He screened scary for his students. And then I came and did like a Q&A, but I was so... Um, I was nervous because I don't know what the atmosphere is like on like college campuses nowadays, you know, and I didn't want to be like walking into like a nest of like vipers potentially. Yeah. Um, but they were great. Everyone was, they were really engaged and non-combative actually, but I was psyching myself up thinking of that um, Claire Denis anecdote where they ask her about, um, I think they asked her like why her movies are so like violent towards women or something. And she says like, what the fuck? I'm not a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that amazing James Spader Q&A for Crash where they're talking about nudity? No. Oh, I, I'm going to misquote it, but he just has a real, they're like, why are you nude so much? He's like, because we're fucking. Ah! 
<laughs> and yeah. Then, yeah, it was like well, well said. Uh, yeah, yeah, literally. This is just why. It's funny on my film notes for for you. All I've got is anime, Paul Schrader, <laughs> and immoral tales. Okay, <laughs> that's all. That's I usually have a feel of what people are into, but that's literally all I've got for you. Anime, Paul Schrader, and immoral tales. Yeah, yeah, that's oh. that's pretty much. I mean, I I'm not crazy into anime actually, even though I know I like present as very weeb coded I, right. I do i do have great reverence for japanese culture <laughs> um but i i'm really like a neon genesis evangelion fan and after i watched that i tried kind of to get into anime this was like during the pandemic also um but nothing can really hold a candle to that it's so tough when you I think NGE is like one of the best works of art ever, ever made. I haven't seen that. I know everyone says that's like the high watermark for anime period. I think it's amazing. Will I understand it? I I don't know what my brain is with anime that even... Yeah. When I started living in New York, there were... Sometimes there would be theatrical screenings of anime. That's how I saw like um, Ghost in the Shell and Akira and like Ghost in the Shell I would never be able to understand like at home because I'm too low IQ and I would inevitably like go on my phone like I have to it takes I feel like a genius when I watch like a movie <laughs> like that because I'm like you know taking in so much data and like reading and like <laughs> um like it's it's so conceptual but NGE it's it's serialized and it's a real like riff on like the very, the very popular Japanese genre of like fighting robots. So it's like playing with those conventions and is a little bit repetitive at first, but then gets really good. And then the finale is, is yeah, it's, it's, everyone can understand it because it's very, very like, um, human. Is it depressing? I heard it's really sad, which appeals to me. It's really sad. It's really okay, good. like destroyed me, which is probably why it left such a, such a big impact. Um, but besides that, and then like the main, you know, the main ones, like Perfect Blue and stuff. That's I, my favorite. That's a really great one, yeah. Did you ever see Legend of Overfiend when you were a teenager? Mm-hmm. Like the most disgusting, extreme, hentai-inspired um, anime that was like... No. That's my favorite. Well, my favorite gross-out one. No, I I liked Sailor Moon a lot. I was a really big Sailor Moon fan when I was a kid, though. So I've always liked it, like... I've always liked the look and atmosphere of it and have been drawn to it. But in terms of actually watching it, I'm not like as deep into anime as, as, as some other people definitely. And you're a big Kristen Dunst fan. I do love Kristen Dunst. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about her? I mean, I think she is the best actress probably of, you know, my slash our generation um but i also kind of grew up with her like in, in bring it on and stuff bring like it on's I, a masterpiece bring it on is i love bring it on i put that in like the top tier of teen movies and she's yeah she's just i think she's just so she's so talented and and cute and something i don't know she's she's like kate moss for me we're all like never tire of like seeing a photo of her i always um yeah i met her actually at the sag awards 
And I was drunk enough to kind of like, cause she didn't, she didn't win a SAG award or an Oscar for power of the dog because they gave it to that, um, that actress from West side story, which was obviously a very like political, you know, it was yeah. like a very, it felt like Kirsten's year that she was like, fine. She deserves it so much. She's like, and you know, she's in her range as an actress, like, you know, when she does something like melancholy, like she, I think she's, she is really like, she's like broken her heart on screen so many times and I know she's talked about like you know struggling with like depression and stuff and I think that that's it's clear that she has a very like deep and like melancholic personality that yeah. I th- and I think it's very generous of her to like take on the roles that she does so I said that I was a big fan of her um, and I was with Maddie who came to the SAG Awards with me and she asked us if we were lesbians <laughs> <laughs> she was like oh are you guys like a cool lesbian couple and i was like no unfortunately but we can be if you'd like us to be whatever you want (laughs) (laughs) melancholy is a masterpiece i think that's Lars von trier's best movie and i remember when i was watching it i thought kirsten is definitely felt depression she nails it perfectly it's the best Mm on-screen representation of depression i've seen where someone's definitely yeah gone for it the kind of uh the exhaustion and the kind of depression fog and in a real yeah it's not boring you know it's like it's it's, no it's just like everything's wiped out of her when she's like crying and like the or her sister is like begging her to come like down to eat and she's like i made you pot roast and they're like dragging her basically And she sits down and then she like starts eating it and she starts sobbing and she says it tastes like ashes. Yeah. And then when everyone's kind of like, it's being really fucking difficult. Why can't you just power through? And she's just like, Mm -hmm. I just can't. It's complete. Yeah. That was a a great performance. And then Marie Antoinette is one of my favorite movies of all time. Again, another movie that I find myself defending that I shouldn't have to defend so much. What's not to like? I guess it's just now looking back it's the, too good it's the people think it's too beautiful and atmospheric and it's yeah. fun well i think it's the one once you accept that it looks like barry Lyndon with like a almost music video aspect but the merging t- completely works for me i think it's amazing and the choice of all the new romantic soundtrack yeah and the in and the indie bangers with the and then you, i kind of think like all the kind of new romantics and the gods kind of embraced that kind of aspects of that 18th century aesthetic anyway in in the costumes so i feel absolutely yeah that like rococo kind of like frivolence yeah the irreverence of that music is the kind of age of innocence realness going on with the looks and stuff i, th- I think it's great but I think that was that kind of that cunty time where it was just time to shit on all the indie yeah. authors of a time where like, ah, you took a big swing, fuck you. The kind of, wasn't it the same year when the guy who made Donnie Darko came out with Southland Tales mm. and they were like, this is just a fucking mess. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were so naive. That is so dumb. But <laughs> um I'm a big, yeah, Sofia Coppola for me, I think is uh, one of the best directors. I think it's misogynistic to say you don't like Marie Antoinette, honestly. I think Sofia Coppola makes films that are truly like feminine and effeminate um, in a very like unapologetic way. 
Um, and she does it very well. I mean, Virgin Suicides is a first feature. A lot of, you know, incredible vision. It's, al- it's uh, almost, yeah, it's almost perfect. Yeah. That's so, that's got such a haunted, creepy feel. That's the real, I think, yeah, she came out fully formed. Yeah. With that movie, her complete aesthetic and tone is. When, when nepotism works, yeah. you know? <laughs> How do you feel about Somewhere? I really like some. It's so stoned. Yeah. I love it. It's a great, great LA movie. I really like Somewhere. That's the one I probably watch the least because I watch Marie Antoinette and Lost in Translation so much. I think Lost in Translation is my least favorite. But... Oh, I really, really love that one. But I love Japan. That's, you know, I love Japan. <laughs> Sophia just, yeah, the, the aesthetically we are very aligned i think although i do love the fact that she was really mean about cameron diaz and cast oh yeah oh yeah i like that there's that kind of there's that real scathing meanness in her films in places which i really enjoy yeah because in person she's quite i don't know i auditioned for a small part in um that last one i didn't see actually with rashida jones on the rocks. I was like, on the rocks, yeah. Um, and I, I met her very briefly, and she was very demure, and, like, she seemed very introverted and, like, sweet. Yeah, I met her briefly at the film festival and tried to talk to her about Square Pusher, because Square Pusher was in The Lost in Translation. <laughs> and she was just like, yeah, War Records, cool, bye. And I was like, okay. but I think I saw her at Film Forum at a screening of that documentary about Stalin's funeral. <laughs> that came out and I she like walked out of it because why would you sit through the whole thing but I swear it was her but it was she had a mask on <laughs> sorry non-anecdote when did you start the podcast and what was your did you have a concept going in of what you wanted the show to be sort of I had been I had known Anna um on Twitter for a long time and we were both preoccupied with a lot of the same things at the time around like 20 around like the 2016 election um I felt like Anna and I were really talking about like liberal feminism in a way that uh not a lot of other people were um so when I met her when I moved to New York obviously this was like um peak kind of like come town chapo era um so it seemed like we really got in at the right time um and the concept was sort of this was before everyone had podcasts so we were like let's do a podcast where we're girls and we talk about you know uh well also being russian american i think really kind of bonded us like in perspective and so we just yeah we knew we would talk about like current events that mainly pertain sort of to women's issues and that was the basic idea but it was funny when we started it yeah there was um or when it's it's started because it started to become successful sort of quickly um i think because we were talking about very new york centric things at first and new york obviously is like where media gets made you know so it was like it um and then the sailor socialism thing happened, which gave me a big audience that I like parlayed into the pod as well. 
Um, and we both already had our respective sort of followings on social media. Um, but I remember my rep sort of being like, which one, like, you guys need to try to like package this a little more and make it a little like they do. They really didn't like the, the logo of the woman's back with the tramp, tramp stamp, stamp yeah. tattoo. They were like, you should have a, you should have your faces on your like podcast image and like, you should make it clear like this Anna's this one and like Dosh is this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think we've, we've found that through the years, which was, which was better than like locking ourselves into, you know, some, some, some category. Did you initially start on Patreon? And I think we, the first one we did was free. Or maybe we did a, a couple for free and then, yeah, and then started doing the alternating Patreon. For and how are people finding out about it just for your respective social media presences and stuff? Yeah, and word of mouth. I think during, um, obviously, like during COVID, we had a big boost because people were really looking for that kind of like parasocial attachment to fill like a void in their life podcasts, I think in general, we're doing very well. Um, I don't know. People find out about it. Yeah. Through, through our personalities and through word of mouth, because I know we, we are both probably like shadow banned. So it's, it, we're definitely not being algorithmically boosted into anyone's um, feed, but there's, I don't know. It's interesting. Like when I meet people, um, when people reach out to me about the pod there's usually some incident I find where like them or someone close to them had been like either unjustly unjustly canceled or like <laughs> a vic a victim of some like uh, social justice mob. Like people have a point I think where they um, come to Red Scare because they feel so uh, <laughs> uh, like betrayed and like bewildered by the culture um and then usually they'll express some form of like gratitude to me or anna for like speaking truths that other people can't say you know i'm obsessed with loveline episodes i think loveline episode two is your greatest moment that's my favorite part that that part was wild thank you i don't remember that we've done we've done a quite a few love lines but i love doing them yeah the second one was just really dirty and outrageous and crazy and all the questions were so good but the, the new one was insane the new one when the last the, one was crazy because we figured out how to let people call in oh that was so exciting when, yeah because <laughs> that almost had like a late night talk radio kind of vibe to it which is really exciting we need to figure out we need like a producer because we don't have a producer is the thing um i was talking to kave last night about the season four of his show um where there's like a storyline about how he tries to go on these podcasts and he kind of asked to come on red scare and i was like no (laughs) (laughs) i don't think our audience is really gonna like it Um, but he was listing all the other podcasts he went on and i was like um or tried to get on and i was like well all those podcasts have producers like we just don't, everything's a little harder for us to do um, because it's just the two of us trying to like figure it out, um, which is a, which is a benefit and a curse in some ways, but it would be, 
if we did something like that, it would be nice to have someone like screen the calls like on Frasier or something. Yeah. Like call a five, you're live. But yeah, to cut out all the... Exactly. Because otherwise it'd just be like mad, heavy breathing. I mean to text you every time I hear this. In the mm. podcast, when you shout, take a fucking kickboxing class. I always think that's hilarious, but I don't get the reference. What is that? Oh, I think we were talking. We, that was a reference to something Jen Psaki said. <laughs> um, I forget about what some legislation that like Democrats, the Democrats had had some loss with legislation. And she was like, she gave this press conference where she said like, have a margarita, take a kickboxing class, like do your, <laughs> do some self care and like get back out there because this fight isn't over. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, though, that, that was makes a sense. Yeah, yeah. To, to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I also love anytime when Anna says something really outrageous and you have to say, Anna, that's when you know Anna. it's a really good app when she, <laughs> yeah. When yeah, when you're shocked, that's always a good one. Well, there was, I mean, at least when I was like shooting succession, um, there, that, that era of the pod, I feel like has, there is this like palpable kind of tension where I'm like really trying not to say too much. Yes. (laughs) And Anna had had her baby. So she was, you know, hormonal and really had nothing to lose. And there's this like... (laughs) We've never ever fought. Like I, I can't imagine what we would ever fight about. Even we have such a good working relationship, and I love her so much. But that was that's an interesting part of the part of the show too. The, of uh, you know, I remember she was like going in on Adam McKay, and I did. I was just no. like, oh. <laughs> I was like, no, I haven't, I haven't seen the Big Short. <laughs> I was in a restaurant recently. I I almost choked on my food when she said that Billy Elise dresses like Cedric the Entertainer. At a barbecue. Oh, that was such a good one. Fucking that was such genius. a good one. I, I think know. It, that one and when not to keep on quoting your pod back to no, you. But, it's okay. Um oh my god. Hasbulla as boss baby. Wow. That's an image I can't shake. That's such a that needs to happen. Even if I just do, do some deep fakes, I'd be totally here for that. <gasps> I, I, I it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the perfect match. I'm sure it's haram. Yes, <laughs> you know, in some in some way, so he wouldn't be able to act in it. But it's something that yeah, we can we we need to see at least. Yeah, his video. Have you ever seen his video where he's making coffee and he needs to stand on the chair to reach the counter? It's so adorable. <laughs> I've seen so many of his. I've seen so many of his videos. I love him. Yeah, he's adorable. That video where he's doing the interview and he have you seen one the one where he blows into the whistle just to puncture that guy's eardrum when he? Oh yeah. No, it's he blows into um his sorry his the, mic the lav mic yeah 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 because the guy's got the the sound guy's got he's the so nod and he's in his laugh his devilish little laugh I uh things can't be so bad if Oswald is out there I follow his account and like a few dog accounts and that's my I don't happy think point. he had I don't know if he has an account he's got an official account and he goes live on it he does he does 
I'll send you, you have it. To send, send, yeah. Please send me that information because I follow like 20 Hasbro like fan accounts. No, I follow a few, but there's one where he's going live and he's like driving. Okay, good. Driving at night and stuff. It's, yeah, it's a real vibe. Because, yeah, I saw a story recently where he got in trouble for posting on Instagram that like women are so mysterious. It's like you're not supposed to hit them, but if you don't, then they don't fall in line. Or something. He said something really like Muslim. <laughs> about gender relations i got some backlash and i was like i didn't even know he was speaking his mind yeah he's I out been following life. him the whole time yeah so how did you feel stepping into succession did you have any imposter syndrome or going to something of that scale <laughs> i mean you deserve to be there but i'm just wondering how did you feel from going from like indies and stuff to something no, as big as that i i felt incredibly lucky but almost like it didn't really hit me until I wrapped the last season really, where I was like, wow, you're going to be on, you know, succession. Cause I was such a fan of the show. And then when I started working on it, it was like, I had, and I rewatched the last, the two prior seasons, like in succession. <laughs> and then, um, so my first day on set, it really felt just like a dream. Um, you know, and I was like, and Kendall's here and Nick and cousin Greg is here. And mm. I was, like, there was something about it that just felt like I knew the world and the tone of the show so well that, um, any anxiety I had was sort of sublimated. Um, and I did, I did a movie directed by Alice Englert over the summer, um, who I worked with as an actress years ago on this television show. Um, and I remember talking to her about acting back then. And she, you know, she's Jane Campion's daughter. So she oh, this has, is the one you I shot like, in New Zealand. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it makes sense that she would have this like literally dreamier approach, but she said, yeah, she was like, for me, acting is like the way that you behave in a dream where the givens are, you know, you're not like, you take things for granted in your dreams as, as reality. And so when you treat acting as if like, you're just kind of dreaming, you find yourself like acting naturally. That's beautiful you act, advice. You're, you're always acting naturally in your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I was in my friend, Mike Lee's son put, cast me, we're friends and he put me in the new Radiohead band. You know the smile of a new band from the Tom from Radiohead. Mm -hmm. He, yeah. put me, he put me in their video as this biker. Uh -huh. And I, I had this whole Hell's Angel look and I went for a costume fitting. And then we went on set and it was almost like this random group. He wanted to be like found footage from, say, the Woodstock kind of Manson era where it was this weird commune with this random group of people all together. And it was all 16 mil footage. And it's when it looked like documentary footage, found mm. documentary footage. And I was so fucking scared I was going to blow a take or ruin really? it. For, yeah, I couldn't relax. And then they'd say like, hey, just walk across the camp field. And I'm like, when you say walk, what do you... Yeah, and I, and I, and you're I was overthinking like, it. Yeah, and he was like, dude, just walk. Just fucking own it. And then I was like, then I kind of got a little bit of a method idea in my head of like, yeah, I'm a hell's angel and I've left the gang and now I'm in this random commune and I kind of got into yeah. it. but. 
every just doing the most natural thing where they were like they gave me this big like huge jug of like beer and they're like you got to chug this every so often and then i'm like every how many chugs are we talking here like every five seconds every 10 yeah i could not get out of my head yeah well yeah they said i've heard that acting teachers and stuff say that the hardest thing to do is yeah is to like act naturally or as yourself because i'm sure yeah you know how you know how to drink a beer yeah but something about doing it on stage or in front of a camera. Yeah, like, am I, am I like... going to overchug, you know, <laughs> what's the kind of yeah. natural level? And if it was going to shoot it for 30 seconds, and I was like, how many chugs should I put in in this 30 seconds? I was like, I'm just wasting everyone's fucking time. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I learned, I learned a lot about directing from acting, really, because I had done so many indies and like projects even where like there wasn't like a script supervisor so i yeah. had to sort of keep mental track of you know things and be mindful of the way that they would like cut together in the end um and it's starting as an actress it really i think gave me a lot of strength as a as a director because i had this i had experience on sets and i had like the perspective I knew how to all work with actors also because I had been, I had been one. And I wanted to go back when you're talking about the parasocial relationship you have from being a podcaster, yeah. Yeah. which I'm hmm. finding so funny now when people meet me at the screenings and they're like, Hey, Steven. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know my name? And then I'm like, <laughs> cause I, cause I announce it on the podcast every time. Right. Or, 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 minor details of my life when people know like i'm obsessed with root beer or brian de palmer and all these weird <laughs> details that you don't realize that you're putting out there in public yeah but yeah I was wondering, oh, tell me about it yeah but then i was thinking when i was listening to your pod with charlie xcx where she was saying mm. she was nervous about me meeting you or talking to you because of uh slightly mean girl persona you have on the pod but i was wondering long tangent but then i was thinking yeah i know larry david always says that he enjoys the, from the persona he has on curb people are nervous to talk to him because they always think shit am i going to be become the selfie guy in the show or am i going to become the long handshake guy but yeah i was wondering how is your relationship with people meeting <laughs> you or how they expect you to be or um I do think, yeah, Anna and I have unearned kind of like me, mean girl reputations and we're both actually pretty uh, nice and almost like demure and like self-effacing people Agreed, in, real, yes. in real life. Um, I, I mean, I do get approached by uh, almost every day, like someone in New York probably will come up to me. And usually the exchanges are really nice. Um, it's usually like a girl or like a gay guy, occasionally a, a straight guy. But um, and they just say like, "Oh, I love the pod. Like, I think what you do is great." And that's you know nice. There's there's an, in one of Norm Macdonald's books, he has like a little essay about fame um, that I think he puts he says it so he talks about it so well the way that people like um when they see a famous person or a person that they have like some attachment to it's almost like finding like a treasure for them 
Yes. And how he tries in that moment just to, I, I think, yeah, he talks about it with a lot of grace of just like, this person is going to have this limited interaction with you and just try and make it as like pleasant and humane for them as possible. Um, because you don't, the alternative, I remember talking about it actually with Nick Braun because he gets recognized all the time because he's, you know, cousin Greg and he's like six feet five or whatever. He's huge. Yeah. Um, and so like people are always like yelling like Greg the egg at him and stuff. And I was like, God, like, how do you deal with that? Like, it seems I feel so like beleaguered by it and it doesn't even happen that much. And he was like, you just don't have a choice. You know, you have to just, you don't have a choice. You have to kind of make the best of it and have the grace to like accept, accept it well. Yeah. Um, so it's really just about like the mental, yeah, disposition and I, I mean, I think I'm a little willfully naive too. Like sometimes I'll like be somewhere and someone will be like, oh, that person totally knew who you were. And I like, I just, I would, I would actually go crazy if I like behaved and lived as if like everyone was, <laughs> <laughs> had this a priori knowledge of me. So I instead prefer to be like willfully kind of like, nope. Yeah. Rob Zombie said something really cool there. He said every he's nice to every fan because he remembers being a total geek and going to all the horror conventions in the 80s and going to the booths and queuing up for hours. And he he says, I remember everyone who was nice to me and everyone who was a dick to me. And mm -hmm. you'll forget about it, but they'll go away and they'll they'll totally remember. Yeah. Like, Rob was a cool guy and have the moment, but they'll have an impression of you yeah yeah that stays with them so you might as well try and make it a good one Carve said something really nice that Alison Anders just always asks what, what their name is and yeah, shakes their hand I, I'm, I I'm try to do that as I'm well I'm stealing that yeah um and then I usually like sheepishly will also say like I'm Dasha and they say haha we know and that's a good way <laughs> to blow through the through the interaction but yeah it's nice to ask people their name um sometimes I'll I'll even ask like occasionally I, I get stopped by like sort of young-ish like Asian women and on occasion yeah I've been like what like well, you know, they're like, I'm in med school. I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I am like genuinely interested. Yeah. And like how people's lives intersect and like who the, the real demographics of the, of the pod are. Yeah. I always say like, oh, crazy. Listen to the pod. How did you hear about it? Or whatever. And then I sound mm -hmm. like, I'm just trying to like, I'm genuinely curious. I'm not like, tell me more about me. You know, right, I am right. genuinely like, how the fuck did you hear about this? I I'm always amazed when anyone. And what's, what's your listens. favorite part? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have I said anything amusing recently that you may want to recount? Yeah. Are you an Anna or a Dasha kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of girl? <laughs> I remember Tao Lin. You know the author Tao Lin? Yeah. I remember him saying something really interesting to me that he was talking about when he came over for. I think Richard Yates was his first book that really blew up, and he just said, mm -hmm. "Fame is a video game." And I'm just trying to get to the highest level I can. And his whole goal was just to not have to shoplift and sell batteries on eBay uh, and just be able to write all day, which is kind of true. That's, yeah, that's true. But I would say I, I, I'm so annoyed by when like someone like Sally Rooney talks about like the perils of fame. 
I need to read her new book only because she, I, I know she has a total break. Doesn't she have a breakdown in her new book about the. It's about a woman who's already had a breakdown and is living in like the Irish countryside. It's good. I enjoy her books. There's nothing, you know, but she gave an interview around that time where she was like lamenting, hating being famous. And I was like, oh, please. Like, you're a writer. I'm like, you're a writer. I'm like, how many people are coming up to Sally Rooney? Like, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup. Like, it's not, that's not real. I mean, it is, there's literary fame, obviously, and people do become like literary stars, but I think even at the highest, like as famous as Taolin could be, like he yeah. could walk around New York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many real authors these days would be even recognized? And I know, and it's so and trying to sell them books these days is so fucking hard anyway, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think mostly she was speaking, like she resents that she has to sort of sell herself to sell her books and maybe like wishes she could be more enigmatic. But I think the fame conversation, I was like, miss me with that one, you know? Yeah. I was like, I'm not as successful as you. And like people, I, <laughs> I get recognized like daily. <laughs> I really like. And you and you have the privacy of like being a writer, of like working on a book. I'm like. Yeah, you just have to deal with a dust jacket. But... Yeah, like going on a podcast once a week, you know, giving people the raw transmissions from my life. <laughs> I really I rewatched Softness of Bodies, which I really liked. Oh wow! Your gold tooth is such a look. I really movie. wanted that. I really wanted sick. that gold tooth. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was something because I worked very closely with Jordan on on the script, and we almost worked with that. I almost like I was like, we need. I want to have a gold tooth, and he was like, okay, like let's figure out how to get someone to like punch you in the face. You know, like we almost worked backwards. <laughs> I tried gold rim. I, I bought gold rims on eBay just for fun, and it 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 didn't work for me. But I think um, like, I need that. But 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 I want to look cool. I don't want to look newly homeless or something. I don't know, I don't, I don't want to look like a Pirates of the Caribbean extra. Right. So with the right. beard, it's either going to go one of two ways. So it might be a hard one to pull. You might have to get a little diamond or something too, just to. Just yeah. to signify that it's uh <laughs> Yeah, more more ASAP Stephen less Pirates of the Caribbean part four. Exactly. You're gonna have to switch your style up, yeah, to accommodate the the oh, accessory. Whole new makeover as well. I don't think I'm ready for I that. think you might have to <laughs> <laughs> it might be a bigger commitment than you're ready to make. You ca- you captured shoplifting, being chased by shoplifting so well in that movie. That scene was shot in the subway from uh, Possession. Really? Where a John a Johnny has her miscarriage. Wow. That's the same the same Berlin subway stop. Yeah, that was fun. I liked filming that. I loved. I love like thrashing around and being restrained. <laughs> That's a lot of always a lot of fun for me. I shoplifted for like three years. When I when I turned thirty, I decided I was going to try. Wow shoplifting i was thinking i was was great i was really good my favorite things were fucking with the self-scan at the supermarket i was great at that i'd Mm -hmm. I'd just scan through cheap items and then walk away with like ribeye steaks and things like that which i wouldn't scan through but put on the smart check out and then i i I love taking books from big department store bookstores let Mm -hmm. the record reflect not indie bookstores Mm. 
And then the rush was just so exciting. And then I completely was pushing as far as I could go. And I'd take a bunch of coffee table books mm-hmm. and then go to the security guard and be like, hey, how's it going? What floor is Stephen King on? Third, okay. And then I'd go back down, buy like a fucking book of stamps or a postcard mm-hmm. and then walk out of everything. But I was pushing it did you so ever far. Get, did you get caught? Hell yes. <laughs> I got, <laughs> yeah. I got, that, that's what reminded me in your um, softness of bodies. I, I was in a, do you know the Liberty department store? Which is mm. like huge. It's like the self, it's like the Harrods of London kind of. Okay. And I I took this big bolt of aftershave and then I knew I was getting, thought I was getting followed. And I had that kind of thing in, you know, like in mob movies where they do the one last heist and you think, you as you the viewer you're like why didn't you stop you had half a million in the bank why didn't you give up the mob life and i was like i just like that i was in liberty and i really went for it and then the second i left the store i got chased and grabbed back inside but i said i just said i'm on new meds and i feel really weird and i'm not quite sure what i'm doing oh they didn't they didn't want anything to do with me wow and they were like you're sweating and i was like because it was weird it was one of those weird english days where it was like raining in the morning and by the time i was in the palm so it was boiling so i had a big coat on so i was really hot anyway and they're like yeah you're really sweating and i'm like yes the meds i i I feel really weird i'm sorry and they're like just go just get out of my shop i can't i had a friend who got caught shoplifting in japan actually which is so and you know it's so deviant to do any kind of crime in, in japan they almost like don't know how to deal with it and i think she said something similarly where she was like um because she spoke japanese a bit because she had lived there for a while but she was like i'm mentally ill like <laughs> <laughs> and they were like okay they like made her sign some statement that said she was mentally ill i used to take plants i used to like taking big fucking plants and stuff and just really impractical things that were kind of comical or so outrageous you couldn't you wouldn't believe someone would would want to take them but then the next the next week i was in ikea with my girlfriend and um i was buying a frame when i i was going to send my friend a photo that i took of him and i was about to take the frame and i looked at the queue and it was like 40 people in the queue and i was like oh fuck this and i put the frame down and the second i walked out i got chased and they're like come back and they're like what and they're like where's the frame and i'm like i left it in the store the queue's too big and they're like empty your bag and i was like emptied it and they're like i'm really sorry and i was like okay now i'm definitely retired wow this is a sign this is that's a sign yeah yeah (laughs) so what what do you want to do do you have a bigger career plan i want to make another i want to make another movie um i it's i it's like starting to come together now but i don't want to talk about it too much because i'm superstitious but um i'm hoping to shoot my next film in the early part of next year um and then um yeah i want to keep you know i want to keep acting i hope that i can um that there are, are roles that are fulfilling for me to play um i'd like to have a family so i think after my second film um i probably won't make one for a while um but that's okay i don't feel yeah i don't have i don't have that kind of like 
resolute, uh, fervent drive to like make as many, you know, some directors really like, like Schrader, you know, he tries or Woody Allen, like they're so prolific. They like make a movie a year almost or try to, um, I think I am going to really probably take my, it's going to be a slow burn my, <laughs> my auteur career. Yeah, but it's got both lanes are cool. I, I I like people, you know, like the Kubrick model, where it's just really considered and obsessive and slow. And then I like people who just smash one out. Yeah, good or bad. Yeah, they're going to keep love, on coming. I love a minor work. I, that's one of my favorite things about Trader is he is willing to make some, you know, he's like, he's just trying stuff. Like, I saw him do a Q&A for Card Counter where he was like, I was interested in poker and I was interested in Abu Ghraib. And like, oh, that's, that's, and that's the movie, you know? And I was like, amazing. He just, you know, and the, and they too, like the movie doesn't totally make sense. It's definitely not his best. He is like playing the hits in a lot of ways, but it has interesting things about it. And I, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm just happy he's making something. Maybe as I get older, I'll feel more, you know, it'll feel more pressing to like. Urgent. Yeah. Yeah. Tiffany Haddish just didn't work for me in that movie. No. And then someone said, someone said it should have been Pam Greer or someone like mm. that, with some old, someone older, someone with a bit more grit. Yeah, and I, and I was like, that would have been perfect. Just I a know. really hot, cooler older woman who, I I just didn't believe to her being a no, like a hustler or uh like a daddy to to card dealers and stuff. But someone yeah. like Pam Greer, it would almost be like an extension of her kind of. The Jackie Brown world that she was so perfect and, and brilliant in. And it felt, yeah, like anachronistic and yeah, just unrealistic. I agree. She was mis- miscast. You got me into another Schrader movie that I'd never, mm. that wasn't, Comfort of Strangers. Oh. You recommended. That movie's amazing. That one's, he didn't write the script. That was when it's usually he, you know, is known for his, his screenwriting, but that was a movie, and that one's interesting because he's directing someone else's material. Yeah. Was that an Ian McEwan script or did he do the adaptation of the... I'm not sure. I just remember the Christopher Walken monologue was absolutely oh. dark as hell. I can't, the way he says like, Papa, I like yeah. can't like, get out of my <laughs> mind. It's, he's great. And that was... um Schrader really loved Natasha Richardson. Is that her name, the actress? Yeah. And I think right, they had done the Patty Hearst movie, which is also really good if you haven't seen a weird minor Schrader. Um, and I think they would have had like a very fruitful collaboration if she hadn't tragically died. Um, but that movie is, yeah, it's very interesting. What's your favorite Schrader? Hardcore? Mm. Um... I like hardcore. I love hardcore. I like light sleeper. American jig. I mean, there are a lot of them, but Mishima obviously is like the, the pinnacle of his, of his career. And I am a massive fan of Mishima as well. So that one I like, I guess would be my, would be my favorite, but I appreciate so many things about the other ones too. I think light sleeper is my favorite. Mm. I think it's almost like the, I don't know, the greatest hits, if I can say that, of all the kind of themes of kind of, you know, the loneliness, the isolation, the man in the room, and, 
yeah there's something so haunted about that and i think yeah. that 80s soundtrack just bangs so hard i had to get on a bidding war on ebay to find a cd copy of that yeah definitely oh yeah i'm glad we finally did this yeah oh uh, we should plug i guess october 3rd in the uk the scary blu-ray fractured vision special edition comes out um but it's a lot of the same materials that's on the vinegar syndrome release honestly i think it's just a, a uk um version <laughs> perfect yeah <laughs> thanks good to see you buddy okay thanks take care bye nice to see you bye That was me and Dasha Nekrasova. The Scary 61st Blu-ray is out now. I have it in my hands. Great extras. Audio commentary. Two audio commentaries. Q&A. Cast and crew interviews. Collector's booklet. This is a solid disc. Highly recommended. The film is amazing. John Waters meets Roman Polanski remaking Rosemary's Baby via Mumblecore. That's my convoluted pitch. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. Flynn Rodham, my producer, and you guys for listening. We'll speak soon. <laughs>